the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the message that he gave to us and that we declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. If we say we will walk in the light and do not practice that, we lie and the truth is not in us. For God is light. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you that you came into this dark world to redeem us from our sin. Thank you that our dear Savior was willing to go to the cross and take the punishment for me and for everyone, for each one of us. Father, how can we ever repay you? And there is no way for the great love you have for us. For yet when we were still enemies, you loved us and sent your son to die for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life. So we give you thanks this morning and you pray that through this message that you teach each one of us of your amazing love and amazing grace. We pray these things in our dear Savior's name. Amen. Well, good morning, family. It's nice to have the opportunity again to share with you from God's Word. And um, it's a privilege that we have over the next five weeks four sessions to be in 1 John. What a great little book. And 
as the scripture that Bill read, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and do so in chapter five. Um, I've entitled this series, The Evidences of Our Salvation, because I don't know if you've noticed, but each one of us is a week closer to our physical death than when we gathered last week. And at some time, that day is gonna come. It has already been appointed for each one of us, and someday, we will stand before our king. And John wants us to know, John, John wants us to know the evidences of your salvation and of my salvation. And so if I can um, get the little wand to work here, let's see if we got it. All right, Joe. What do I need to do? There we go. Okay, will this work? Going that way. It didn't. That's fine, that's where I want to be. Um, one of my first exposures to First John was when uh, Joy, Joy and I had the opportunity back in the 1980s to go up to Multnomah for a year and take their graduate course in biblical studies. And one of the requirements for that is that we had to do one day of street evangelism, going door to door. Has anybody done that, all you ex-Mormons out there? <laughs> if you, well, that was one of the requirements for one of our classes. And they paired us up, and they paired us up by kind of the alphabetical order of classmates. Well, I was paired up with a young lady, Kathy Kime, and Kathy was about Joy's size and slim, pretty, and she had just come in from the mission field in Africa. And uh, she had been over there for two years and she wanted to get a better handle on God's word so she could be more effective in sharing the word with other people. And she was muscular and she was you know, athletic and uh, very soft-spoken, very nice. And so Kathy and I met and got to know each other a little bit and said, how, how are we gonna do this? We're tasked with going out and doing some house-to-house -house, um, evangelism. And uh, Kathy came up with an idea. She said, well, what if we take a clipboard and we'll devise a little survey? Everybody likes to talk about themselves, and we'll, when we knock on the door, we'll basically say we're from Multnomah School of the Bible, which is now Multnomah University, and uh, we'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Do you have a little time? And most people will say yes to that. Some won't, but most will. And then we would ask them, um, we'd start off with, do you believe in God? Or something like that. And they'd say yes or no, okay. And then we'd ask the question, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? And you can imagine, you'd get a very responsive to that. Well, I think I'm going to heaven because I've been basically a good person and, you know, that kind of drill. Or I, I just don't know. Or I just think we just disappear and, like, we're annihilated and that's it. So we get these. So then we'd follow up with this question. Would you like to know exactly what's going to happen to you when you die? That you can actually have eternal life. And we got a variety of responses from that. And um, we actually had two people say, yes, I would love to know. And we would take them to the verse that Bill read for us. These things are written that you may know you have eternal life. And then we'd share with them the Romans wrote. 
that happened, I think we visited maybe that day uh, seven houses, something like that, less than 10. We had two that responded that way. Most everybody was polite, gave us the time of day and everything and said, well, thank you very much. And we actually had a little handout that we'd, and we'd leave them with that if they'd take it and we'd go on. When we got done, um, the next day in that particular class, we, everybody, all the team shared their experiences, what had happened out there doing this. Every single team, with the exception of Kathy and I, had had a, at least one door slammed in their face, or people saying, you're nuts, I don't want to have anything to do with you, or I don't believe in God, get out of my life, a semi-hostile environment or response. From that, I came away with a great revelation about street evangelism, and it was this. If you're gonna do that, take a pretty girl with you. <laughs> because nobody is gonna slam the door in a pretty girl's face, you know? And other than that, street evangelism, I'm not sure is a real effective tool. Um, maybe it is for some. But at least we had the opportunity to provide some input into, into some lives. But that experience kind of solidified in my heart a little bit that John was writing to us a letter to the church. And it doesn't say that the book never identifies what church he's writing to. So he can be writing to us. But he wants us to know for certain that if these evidences are in your life, there are evidences of the spirit working in your life and that you're probably born again with spiritual renewal. All right, Joe, let's see what happens here. All right, I'm not, there we go. You're gonna have to go with me, partner, I think. Um, I just grabbed a slide of the world out there, people. And God loves people and he created people and each one of us is unique. And as I, as I look at this slide, um, I know there's some things that we can learn from it about where the slide is, and I think these kind of things are important. For one thing, you can tell the view is looking to the north, and it's, it's, you can tell that because of which way the shadows are going at the people's feet. You can also tell from this view that this is not in the middle of summer. Look at the way that the gals are dressed. They're pretty well bundled up and the guys aren't so much. So it's, it's definitely a late in the year. And there's another tip off of what season it might be, and you might notice there's a little Santa hat in there on that young man. So these are probably Christmas shoppers. They certainly look like Christmas shoppers, all filled with joy and hope, don't they? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, whoa, this is, I just want to get across the street. If you look closely also, you can see there's People there from Africa, or at least descendants from Africa. You can see there's descendants from Asia there, from Europe. So this is a cosmopolitan group. You can also look and notice that everybody is dressed a little bit individually. They're all expressing who they are, just a little bit different. Some have got you know, street clothes on, some are a little more formally attired, some are just all bundled up against the weather. But each, there's no cloning going on here. Now, if you look at this picture in the 1940s, all the men are wearing suits with hats on. We're very similar in the way we look. And the ladies are all wearing suits also with coats on. 
in the 1940s. But we live in an age of individuality, and that's really evident in a picture like this. That's what we see. When God looks at this kind of picture, this is what he sees. So if you'll give me that next slide. What he sees is darkness and death because of sin. Now he still loves us, but this is what he sees. Darkness and death and brokenness and hurt and the evidence of the eternal conflict between good and evil. Give me that next one. The scripture says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. That's our state. We're dead there. Now, we may have a fancy hairdo like this person has, thinking we're fitting in and we're pretty good. And we may go to the gym and work out and get nice and buff and slim and all those kind of things. The expression is that beauty is only skin deep. Rottenness goes clear to the bone. And it's so true, isn't it? We put on an appearance of this facade that looks really, really good. And yet when God looks at us, what he sees is the result of sin. And it is into this darkness and into this hopelessness because you're dead in your trespasses and sin. It's into this God sent his son and he sent him to redeem us, didn't he? To bring life to where there's not life, to bring hope to where there's no hope. My sin is gone. I've been set free. My God has ransomed me, as the song we sung goes. Part of amazing grace now. Well, <clears throat> what is, we need to talk about sin, and the reason we do is because the little verse I quoted right at the beginning of Ephesians, this is, or I'm sorry, of John, this is what it says in totality. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. No darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then he goes on to say, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So right from the start, John is laying out a foundational truth for us to understand. And that is the recognition that we have sin in our lives. Not a popular topic. We don't talk about it much in, in church. Rarely do you hear a message on sin. Well, today he's brought us a message about sin. But it's not a message so much of, oh, you dirty sinner, you're going to hell kind of thing. It's a message of hope. Now hear me on this, because unless there's a recognition of sin in your life, and that's an evidence that God is working within you, because it's only when you recognize, I'm not perfect, you recognize you need a savior, see? And that's why John starts right at that fundamental, 
why would Jesus come into this darkness if we didn't need a savior? If we could work out our salvation ourselves, we wouldn't need a savior. But being basically dead, how can we do that? We're spiritually dead. So John takes us right here with this. So what is sin? Let's talk. No, I went through. Oh, it's working. Praise the Lord. All right, we can start simply with the Ten Commandments. Okay, we can go right back to that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make, shalt make no graven images. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. That is wrong. The text says thou shalt not murder, but it's often translated, this not translated, but people make a mistake and say you shall not kill. That's not what God says. He says you shall not commit murder. And that's a really important distinction that we're going to talk about today. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witnesses or witness against your neighbor. Thou shalt not cover anything that is your neighbor's. Now, I don't know about you, but if I look at those right there, there is enough evidence of my guilt and sin to convince me that I'm a sinner, okay? You have to look at that yourself and ask yourself those kind of questions. Have I ever murdered anybody? Physically, possibly no. But as we'll see, I think we've all committed murder. What about coveting something your neighbor has? What about her beautiful looks for you gals? Or what about his possession, guys, and how successful he is? What about their career path and all it means to them? What about his or her athleticism? What about, and this one gets a lot of us, what about his or her popularity with the in crowd? And on and on and on it goes. What about honoring our father and our mother? Some of us have come from very, very, very difficult family backgrounds with our parents. Some of us have been more blessed. But all of us, at times, I would suspect, have come to the realization that my mom and dad weren't perfect. But let's say you come from that really horrid background. One thing I notice about that is there's no contingency about whether we're to do it or not. Honor thy father and mother if they deserve it. No, it doesn't say that. It says honor them, honor them. What if they're passed away? Like my mom and dad it still says to honor them to speak well of them, to live your life in such a way it brings honor to their memory. These are the kind of things that God is talking about. That is important to God. And if we do not do that, we are sinning against God. You may think, you don't know my background. No, that's true, I don't. I'm just saying, this is what God's word says. Well, we can talk about that some more, but Galatians gives us another set 
of things to consider. You can read down through Galatians. This is, there's the fruit of the spirit, and the, basically the fruit of the flesh, immorality, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, enmities, drunkenness, and carousing and such. All the fun stuff. No, not really. It would appear to be, but it's not. Outburst of anger. That's a good one, isn't it? I'm sure I am the only one in this room that has ever struggled with that, especially when the irrigation pipes don't work right and or you get a plumbing issue right at the last minute where you're supposed to be someplace or some other kind of thing happens that just messes up your plan for how things should be going this particular moment or this particular day. Maybe you have a wayward child. Maybe you have a wayward spouse. Maybe you have a wayward parent. How do we handle those things? Jealousy and strife. James talks about what's the source of our quarrels. It's basically he boils it down and says, they have it and I want it, James. And so we fight and we struggle and we argue with one another. And we've all been there. We've all had situations in our lives where somebody else does something we don't particularly like and we want to take them down some way. Or we want to possess what they have in some form or another. Well, Paul jumps into the fray in uh, chapter 1, basically being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and he, he lists a whole bunch of things right there. But this God in his love for us is trying to lay out for us to help us to see clearly what our condition really is. And then he focuses in what I want to focus in on today, because there's no way we can cover or should cover all these kind of things. In Matthew, talks about murder. Now, I doubt anybody in this room has actually committed a physical murder, but murder is one of the things that tears apart relationships more than anything else. It tears apart script, uh, churches, it tears about families, it tears, about, tears up relationships. And as Jesus said, whoever commits murder shall abide in the course. But I say everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty in the court. He's talking there, obviously, about how we interact and what our emotions are, <clears throat> pardon me, toward one another. Toward that boss that's very difficult. Toward that spouse that's very difficult at this particular moment. To that colleague, to that church member, to the faculty, to wherever. And how are we interacting and how are we relating to those people? And this is Jesus talking to, to us. Whoever commits murder shall be liable in the court. And I say that everyone who is angry with his brother should commit murder. It can go on in John, 1 John. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. And then in Matthew, and I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty in the court. 
Now, I want us to turn, so take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 6, because this is so important and from the Lord in 6.16 through 6.19. And I want you to see it, read it, think on it. Jerry Boyle, years ago, when our children were young, he did a parenting seminar pardon me, up at Mountain Meadows Camp. And he said, parents, if your kids are doing any of this, that should be a corporal punishment, i.e. a spanking right now. Because these things God hates. And if God hates them, we don't want them in our families. There are six things. It starts in verse 16 of Proverbs 6. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven are of abomination to him. Haughty, prideful eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one, and note this, that spreads strife among the brethren. The problem is when we have strife with our brothers, what do we do? We like to go tell other people about it. We like to talk behind their back. And you know, and I know it's true, because you know and I know of people that have been so affected by that, they have left the church. Why do we have a reputation in the church of killing our own? It's because of this right here, family. It's because of this right here. It's the sin of murder. And that sin is brewed from the selfishness within our own hearts. And that's where it comes from. So, I share that bad news for this good news. That the evidence of eternal life in your heart is a conviction that you're guilty. Because if God is not working in your heart in this area, none of what the scriptures are saying and what we've shared this morning is going to impact you in the least. But if you have, even this day, an absolute twinge that, ah, I have done that. I am guilty. That is an evidence of God working in your heart. See? And that's why John starts right here. It's a recognition and an acknowledgement of personal sin. Now, from there we move to something because God knows our nature is to talk badly about one another because of the sin within us. And he wants us to keep short accounts. And so we have Matthew 18. If somebody sins against you, now notice he says sins against you. Not that he just does something you don't like or she does something you don't appreciate, but sins against you, what are you to do? Go to the elders and complain. Go to your best friend and complain. Spread it around. Talk behind their back. No. 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 Do Matthew 18. 
go to him in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. Because maybe they have no idea that they hurt you. Maybe they had no idea that what they did to you is a sin, because to them it may, may not be. Joe and my first pastor shared a story one time that he always wore a suit when he preached, very conservative Baptist church, and he always wore, or on this particular occasion, he wore a red tie. He looked sharp, I thought. He got accosted by a woman in the church that thought his red tie was a representation of sin and should never be worn in church. Seems silly, doesn't it? But to her and her background, that was a major offense and he had no idea. So he never wore it again. So as not to cause offense. I don't know what he did with it, but I never saw that tie again. Didn't bother me a bit. Wasn't an issue. But to her, it was a big issue. But my point being, he didn't know. To her credit, she didn't spread around, she went to him and said, I really got an issue with you and that tie. And of course he would, yes ma'am, I'll won't wear it again. So we're to go to one another, confess our sins to one another, be gracious and forgiving of one another. Now, I want to touch really briefly on one more what about habitual sin? This is debated a little bit in the church and um, there are different views on this. Um, so this is my view on habitual sin. I think we've all got it. And I think Paul was trying to get to that. And it's not that we can't give up drinking or cursing or smoking or reading inappropriate things or looking at inappropriate things or whatever that thing might be in your particular life that you wish you could just drop and walk away from. Because the issue is not the smoking, the drinking, or the whatever. It's the condition within that we, even though we are born again, we are still living in a body that's driven towards sin and desires a sin. And it comes out not so much in the what we do, but what we think. I think, I think, at the root of it all, it's how we think. And what we think about is the root of habitual sin that we've got our mind focused on the things of the world and not of the things of God. And we go there naturally. We go there naturally. Paul, now some would say when Paul's writing here in Romans, Paul is, is talking about before he was a Christian. No, I don't believe he was. If you're like me, you can so relate to this what Paul says. Why do I, the good that I wish to, I could do, I, I don't do it and I practice the very thing, the very evil that I don't want to do. Therefore, I see a principle that evil is present in me and the one who wishes to do good, 
but I can't. And then he says, blessed be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ who set me free as we sang, as Scott and his family led us this morning. I've been freed by the blood of Christ. I am no longer a slave to sin. I don't have to go there. And the Lord has promised a way of escape if when we're tempted in those areas of habitual sin, that he'll provide us a way of escape if we'll call upon his name and move that way. I am not today trying to convince anybody of your personal sin, but I am sharing with you what God's word says about your personal sin with this hope. And I mean this sincerely, I've touched on it already, that that conviction is the evidence of your salvation. Because without the Holy Spirit working within, there's no conviction of sin. And so out of that comes this. It is the start of real life to be born again. These pictures were taken in some of the areas we're working on the car fire. There are areas that are blitzed, family. There's other areas that burn relatively cool through. This is a blitzed area. But that little oak is re-sprouting a new life. It's got its roots deep down in that root crown of that parent tree that's dead. And I think it's such a picture of what God is doing in our lives. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. And what a glorious hope we have in Jesus Christ, that he not only has set us free from our sin, but he makes us new. We are a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah for that. New life. The old is gone. We must be born again to have a spiritual life where we're not that empty shell of that old oak tree we saw earlier, but there's life within to live for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful good news of the gospel that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and as John starts this gospel or this letter, identifying that we are not lost. We have an amazing hope through Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our salvation. So we rejoice this day in your love and your goodness for us. And we give you thanks for our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. And may his name be praised forever and ever and ever. Amen.